Well, it's great to be with you all here uh, this morning. Uh, you know that uh, we're in our series, Prodigal God, and we have uh, one more week after this uh, with this series, and we've been, we've been going through various aspects of the prodigal, prodigal son story as found in Luke. Today, we're, we're looking at the younger son who, as we already noted for the past few weeks, he went off to a distant country, didn't he, in, in search of happiness, search of joy. It kind of reminded me as we were looking at the Olympics the last few weeks of people who are going off to another country in search of happiness and joy. I, uh, I don't know about you, but you've been following along at all. This morning I was uh, making my coffee and I, I turned on the TV and I, I saw just kind of a snippet, kind of a, a recap of the Olympics over the past few weeks. It was in, set to music and it was about three to four minutes long and it was all the, all the people that won. And then what I thought was more interesting, all the people that like crashed and you know, things that didn't go so well. The people at the, at the, at the, at the ceremonies who are holding up their medals... There was one picture in this little snippet of uh, three minutes of music that I thought really sums up a lot of things. There was a woman, I don't know who she, who she was, what country she was from, or even what sport she was, but it was, a, it was a medal ceremony. And she had a silver medal around her neck. And I remember her looking down at the silver medal, just crying, shaking her head in total disappointment. Because she didn't receive the happiness and joy of the gold medal. It was the silver medal. And she worked so hard. And I think of these people that worked for years. And they have all these stories that you may have seen of people that are working for years for, to attain this, this gold medal. And they walk away so disappointed. And they always do the exit interviews with those folks. And the, the answer is always, I hoped for more. I hoped for the gold medal. And it's such a disappointment. This son in the story... As we've already read, you know the story. He, he went off, he asked his father for a third of everything, and he thought, I'm going to go and, and I'm going I'm to live apart from God with my material possessions in search of happiness. And we find him uh, in with pigs, and he's totally devastated. It didn't happen the way he thought it would happen. There wasn't joy in the way he thought it was going to happen because he lived his life the way he wanted to live. People do this all the time, don't, don't they? We see this on advertisements and things of things that, material things that will make us happy in life. The cars that we drive, the, the things that we own. I saw on TV the other day, there was a, the hair club for men. And if you had hair, it was, you, these guys that didn't have hair were all down and depressed. And then all of a sudden they had hair and they were playing pool with other guys and they had bodies chiseled like Greek gods. And it was all of a sudden everything was good. It's hopefulness. Hopefulness of things that will bring us happiness. But in reality, what's going to bring us happiness is being with the Father. And that's what the Son realized as well. So he had to redefine his hope. So my challenge for you this morning as we look at this passage is, where, where is your hope placed? Do you have joy and peace in your own life, living the way you want to live? Or is it, is it in being with the Father? And that's what this son realized. If you have your Bibles or your service sheets, you know Jamie just read the passage. We're in Luke 15. And you'll see in verse 17, the son realized the depths of his despair. It says, when he came to a census, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And now here I am starving to death. So what does he do? He rehearses like a confession that he's going to do or say to his father. It says in verse 18, 
says, I, I, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And then what does he say in, in verse 19? He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So the best thing that this young boy, young man could expect was to go back and be allowed to work towards restitution. Be a hired man and, and work and earn back everything that his father gave him. That was the hope that he had. You see, Jesus was very wise in telling the story. Because if we remember a few weeks ago, who was he telling this story to? The Pharisees and the scribes. Well, they would understand working towards something. Earning salvation. Earning your way to salvation. And being good. That's why they lived by the law. It was about being good and doing good. So that you would find acceptance and favor. And that's exactly what this young man had in mind. Go back and work. Pharisees understood that he would probably need to confess, repent, be humiliated and shamed by asking for forgiveness. And then be allowed to, to make restitution only after earning his way back, making everything up. That's what the Pharisees lived like. That's why Christianity is so much different than all other religions combined. Because in all the other religions, it's about being good and what you can do to earn salvation and working your way to salvation, when in reality, Christianity is about God coming to us and saving us. That's why it's completely different. Completely different. I want you to think for a minute about how long, in fact, it would take someone to earn that all back. This man would work minimum wage jobs, and uh, whenever temporary jobs he can get, some of you uh, live like that. And it's a, it's a hard life. It's a struggle. His father seemed like he was very wealthy. He had servants. He had calves. He had robes. He had rings. So how long would it take somebody, if you got a third of all that, to work your way back? How long would it take? Some would say a lifetime. Some would say it's impossible altogether. I did some calculations myself. I have two kids Caden, uh, our son, and Langdon, our daughter, and I thought, if I split up my inheritance to them, how long would it take my youngest, Langdon, to earn it all back? All of about seven and a half weeks is about right. <laughs> my wife and I actually have a policy that we like to remind our children how little we have so they don't turn on us in the middle of the night. <laughs> but how long would it take this man, whose father was wealthy, who had all that back, to earn that back? It'll take a lifetime. What hope would there be then? What hope is there to be somewhere separated from your father, working and earning your way back of no possibility of ever earning acceptance? That sounds like hell to me. How long would it take? Son dramatically underestimated his father's mercy, didn't he? And for us, we have to understand that coming to salvation is not about earning it. Last week, if you heard Jamie, Pastor Jamie up here talking about coming to the Father, it has nothing to do with how good you are or what you're doing in life. It's simply confessing your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it's by grace that you've been saved by faith. Not, through, not of works, not from yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no one could boast. It's by grace. It's by grace. That's why as we approach Easter, as Jamie's talking about Lent, Monday, Thursday, and Easter, we know at our church services on Easter, we're going to have a lot more people here. 
people come because they, they think that they're earning points by being here for, for Christmas and Easter. We're, we're happy to have them here. But we have to tell you, being here is nothing about earning your way to God. It's about God's grace, about you coming to him and confessing to him. That's why Hebrews 4 says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may, what, receive mercy, it says, in our time of need. So my first question to you this morning, my first question, is are you trying to earn acceptance of Christ? Are you here because you figure it will earn you points? Or have you truly asked for forgiveness and said, God, save me because I can't save myself. I can't earn that back. That's the first point. Isn't it wonderful that God saved us by grace? Isn't it wonderful that we don't have to earn that way back? Isn't it wonderful that you can be here because you want to be here, not because you need to be here this morning? That we don't need to add something to the gospel. Because what would that look like if we had to earn our way back, if God's work on the cross wasn't sufficient? If we had to add something to it, then we would, in a sense, become like God as well, stating how we can get to salvation. But it's by grace. So my encouragement for you this morning, if you've never accepted Christ, you can do that this morning simply by calling out to him and asking for forgiveness and receiving him to come into your life. And he gives an abundance for people who don't necessarily deserve it. My second point really comes in the, in the last verse, verse 20. If you notice verse 20, it says, he got up and went to his father. I thought, well, how, how is that really a point? He got up and went to his father. The point is you have to move. We have to move. Many of us are living lifestyles that are contrary to God, living immorally. Maybe you have some kind of addiction. Maybe you're not treating your spouse very well. Maybe you're not treating your children very well. Maybe you have anger problems. Maybe you have envy problems. Maybe you're coveting something. Maybe you're into, uh, into lifestyles that you know is not pleasing to God and you feel convicted this morning. Or maybe you've never come to him at all. The point is, is that you have to move. It's up to you. The story would be completely different if verse 20 said, instead of he got up and went to his father, he decided that it would probably be a good idea to go back to his father. No, he got up and went, is what he did. He got up and went. So many people come into church that they feel convicted about the lifestyles they leave, and they say, you know what, I shouldn't be living like that, and they walk out of here and they go, man, maybe I should put something into practice. No, you can put something into practice as soon as you leave this place this morning. If you're living in a moral life, if you're living in a way that it's not pleasing to God, if you're not treating your family with respect, your spouse, your children, your husband, whomever, you can make those decisions, but only you can. You can decide all day that it's a good idea, but until you actually put actions to your steps, it goes nowhere. When I'm in counseling, I do that all the time. People come in and say, you know what, Jared, I have, this, I have this issue. And I can convince them all day that what they're doing is wrong or living a certain way is wrong. But I tell them, I can't fix your situation. You have to do it. The other day I was in with a fellow who had anger issues, anger with his wife, always losing his temper. And he's telling me, I know, Jared, I, I've got to change. No, 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 you're not, you're not hearing me. You need to change. Yes, I know what you're saying. I, I feel convicted. I need to change. No, you're not hearing what I'm telling you. You need to physically change. You need to go out there and stop doing that. Because decision is one thing. Action is another. That's why this man got up and went. You've heard the old adage that there are five birds sitting on a fence and three decided to leave. How many are left? Five. Because while three decided to leave, they haven't left yet. 
there's a lot of things that we decide that we want to do. There's a lot of things you can say, oh, Jared, coming to Christ is important in my life. I understand that. But until you take the steps to do it, it goes nowhere. So my question to you is, are you going to do that? Are you going to take action? See, this man got up and went to his father. He realized that living apart from him wasn't the lifestyle he wanted to live. It wasn't leading to happiness, so he went back to him. That's why Thomas Fuller says hope is one of those principal springs that keeps mankind in motion. It pushes us to do things. But we have to take the first step. A lot of times it's the hardest step, folks. I'm not saying it's easy. Some of us in here will say, you know, Jared, you don't know where I've been or how bad I've been. There's no way God's going to ever accept me. And I'm telling you right now, that is a lie. God will accept you. He wants you to come to him. That's why Romans 10 is so powerful. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can come to him this morning, but you've got to take the step. So my question for you, second question. For those of you living a lifestyle, are you willing to move away from it? If you're living a lifestyle, even this morning you're feeling convicted of it, are you willing to move away from it and not just think about moving away from it? Are you willing to take action? That's why we pray before the service that I always pray that we aren't just hearers of the word, but we are what? Doers of the word. It's got to take action. It's got to take action. Are you this morning willing to take action? To move away from the lifestyle you're living. For those of you who don't know Christ, maybe you've never come to him. Are you willing to go to him this morning, despite where you've been? Understanding that everybody who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. What an amazing thing that is. That should give you more hope than anything. That's hope redefined. I think there's a third point to this as well. Maybe not so obvious of a point. But a third point to this story as well. It really comes in verse 19, as we've already read. It says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, it says in verse 19. Make me like one of your hired men. We already determined that hired men were skilled, they were, they were day laborers that would work for minimum wage. Living day to day. So this son, who is living a pretty tough life at this point, realizes that he's got to do something. He's got to go back to his father, plead for forgiveness, and then only hope to be part of his hired men. Not part of the family again. It doesn't say, make me like your son again. Make me like one of your hired men again. Working for the rest of your life, earning that way back. You may say to that, Jared, what is your point? My point is is that he's going from one tough situation to another tough situation, but yet he is still going. This alternative to where he was at, he's got to go back in front of his family, his father, everybody, and plead for forgiveness. Shameful act, and then just try to work his way back. Not even necessarily be accepted, but try to earn his way back. He's going from one tough situation to another tough situation. The alternative does not seem much better. The other day... Uh, we, uh, as I mentioned, we have two kids, and Caden, uh, our son, was doing something to our daughter, and uh, we punished him and said, you need to go to your room. No dinner. So he goes up to his room, crying his eyes out. It's okay. He's up there. 
And after a few minutes, I walked up and I said, Caden, you need to go ask for forgiveness from your sister and then give her a hug. And he looked at me, he goes, I'd rather starve. (laughs) Why? Because the alternative isn't any better. Going from one situation, going from one situation to a worse situation doesn't seem much better. This younger son was in the same kind of predicament. He's in one tough situation. He's in the pig pen with pigs. Now he's got to go back and be shamed in front of everybody. Ask for forgiveness and then only hope to be hired as a day laborer and then work for the rest of his wife to give back exactly what his father gave to him. It was remorse for the past, pain for the present, and a bleak prospect of the future. But yet he still went. He assumed that his life wasn't going to be any, necessarily any different. But he still went. He still went. Because he realized that being near the Father was more important than the situation that he was in. Being in his Father's presence was more important than his situation. There are so many people that want to come to God because they want their situation changed. And then when God doesn't change their situation, they get mad at him. And they think, God's not here for me. God hasn't listened to me. I called out to God to rescue me in my situation, and he isn't. My finances are a mess. My marriage is a mess. My kids are a mess. I have health issues, and I call out to him to rescue me, and he does it. Jared, he's just not listening. And I say, he's absolutely listening to you, and he is answering you. He's giving you exactly what you need, not necessarily what you want. Why? Because God came to save you from your sins, not to change your situation. And that's the gospel. It's not about the situation you're in. But he does answer us. That's why Romans 8.25 says, but if we have hope, if we have hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. He hoped his father would accept him back and that's all that mattered to him. It wasn't about a situation changing. It wasn't about getting his status back as as the son of a wealthy man. It was about going back to being a hired man. Some of you are in situations right now that are so dire. So dire. And your hope is that God will change your situation. And this morning, it's about redefining what hope is for you. Hope is about being with the Father. Understand that He hears you. About patiently waiting. C.S. Lewis said, hope is one of those theological virtues. This means that it's a continually looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of those things a Christian is meant to do. It doesn't mean you are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. That's Paul's life. Paul's life never changed. He was in tough situation, one after another after another. Did he have peace? Yes. Did he have joy? Yes. Why? Because he had hope in the Father that he would be with him. That's exactly what it's meant to be. That's why I love the verse from Matthew. Matthew 11. It says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you 
rest. Not come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will change your burdens. Not come to me, all you are weary and burdened with financial issues, and I'll change your financial situation. It's I will give you rest. Why? Because you can have hope and peace that being with the Father is going to bring you more joy, more happiness than anything else in this life. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Younger brother went to back to the Father. Not to change the situation, but because he understood being apart from the Father was worse than anything else. But then his father had mercy on him and accepted him back as our father does. So my third question for you this morning is for those, maybe you've already known and loved Jesus, maybe you're experiencing a difficult situation in life. Do you have hope and trust God despite your situation? And secondly, are you resting in the fact that you have a peace despite the situation that you're in? As you ask for his rescue. The question for you this morning is, is God, here for, is God here for us, for him to serve us, or are we here for us to serve God? It's for us to serve God. This isn't something where we pull out a chart and say, God, I want this, 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 and this. God says, I've already given it to you. I've given you me. You can have a relationship in that. And I'll carry you through no matter what situation you're in. This is what gives us hope. It gives us peace. It's what gives us Life and hope and joy, no matter what the situation is. Why? Because we already said this morning, we already sang, Yahweh, Yahweh, our hope is Yahweh. Why? Because he's the only thing that's faithful and consistent in this life. That's what it's about. That's what the son realized. So do you have hope despite your situation? As the band comes this morning, closes this morning, there was a story that I heard that I think really defines what hope is. Somebody, despite their situation, realizing that being in the presence of the Father is more important than anything else in life. It was a pastor who knew of a man who was uh, in the hospital with a terminal illness. This man was in the hospital. He'd been in the hospital for a number of years with a terminal illness. And the pastor went to visit the man, and when he walked in, he noticed a chair beside the bed. And the pastor said, oh, I see you're expecting me. He said, no, no, pastor, that, that chair is not for you, that's for Jesus. You see, and the pastor was confused, he said, for Jesus. And he said, yeah, a few years ago, someone taught me how to pray. He said, prayer is as simple as talking to a good friend despite the situation. So every day I pull up a chair and I call out to Jesus to rescue me. To either take away this disease or give me a peace. And every day God shows mercy upon me. He doesn't take away my disease, but it sure gives me peace. And this prayer every day that I pray gives me so much hope. Well, two nights later, the daughter of that man called the pastor to tell the pastor that her father died. And the pastor said, well, did he die in peace? And the daughter said, absolutely, absolutely. He said, when I was leaving for the store, before I left his room going to the store, he called me over to his bedside, the daughter said, and he told me he loved me. And he kissed me on the cheek. 
and said, I'm going home. When I returned to his room an hour later, he had died. But then she said, interesting thing though, pastor. His head wasn't lying on the pillow when he died. It was lying on the chair next to his bed. You see, that man had hope for something beyond himself. It wasn't about the material. It wasn't about his health. It was about being in the presence of the father. And that's exactly what this younger son did. Calls out to his father and God rescues him. The father runs to him with open arms. When we call out to God, he rescues us. Will you stand with me as we sing?